Welcome, everybody, to the fabulous 64th edition of the Metabolus 2 podcast. Today, it features me, Ben. And David. In the role of the not-me. Um, <laughs> so what are we doing today? What are we doing? We are doing, we're doing something we, we can't decide what, it, what it's called yet, but it, <laughs> it will be a lot of fun. What we're doing is that uh, the two of us, the Metabolus 2, Metabolus 1 and Metabolus 2, mm-hmm. are picking their kind of dream team sort of, of Doctor Who behind-the-scenes people. Right. So, we are BBC. We are <laughs> BBC. BBC drama. We have casted Jodie Whittaker. So, we are Jody putting Whittaker. together a team to launch Jodie Whittaker's first season of Doctor Who. Absolutely. And and we have a time machine. So, we're <laughs> able to... Because we're the BBC. So, we're able to go back in time mm-hmm. and pick people at the peak of their careers, i.e. when they were working for Doctor Who. Um, and... <laughs> Not not later or earlier, but only when they're working for Doctor Who. Oops. Um, oops and, and, and assemble them like the Avengers um, to it's an, work. It's like an A-team. It's like the A-team, exactly. <laughs> These are people who've escaped from a high-security stockade. <laughs> and, um, the it, village in Port Marion. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and we've assembled them together, and they will be the perfect people to launch mm-hmm. Jodie Whittaker. Just in case Chibnall is... Uh... He's, he, he's whisked he's away by time right. scoop. Yes, yep, exactly. Yep. If, if Put in the, the death if the, zone. <laughs> if, the, if, if the Doctor Who production team of 20, 2075 desperately need a showrunner, they've whisked Chibnall away to, to the end of the century. <laughs> so the BBC have used their own time scoop to time scoop people from the previous years mm-hmm. to run Doctor Who for them. Yes. And we have uh, five categories in which we are choosing from the 50-plus year run of Doctor Who. So we're going to choose yep. choose a showrunner yep. or a producer-script-editor combo. Yep. We're going to choose a writer, yep. a director, mm. someone in the design department. So costume, set, uh, visual effects, CGI, anything design-related. And then to round it out, we're going to choose a composer. And the ideal is is that we pick someone from the 60s, someone from the 70s, someone from the 80s, someone from the 90s, and then someone from the new Who era. The challenge, ooh, of course, ooh. is... From the 90s? Hmm. Uh, well, see, I actually, have, I actually have picked someone from the 90s. Oh, interesting, because I had chosen two from... The RTD era, one from the RTD era and one from the Moffat era, and then kind of uh, lumped the 90s into the 80s. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, well, I, and I've, I've actually chosen two people from the 70s, but then I have an alternate who also worked in the <laughs> 70s and the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've deliberately gone, gone with someone from the 90s because I know that's hard to do. So hopefully ah, this well. will all, all kind of wash out in the discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. All right. So we are going to start with the production office. So yeah, with the showrunner. Showrunner, yeah. producer. So who did you choose? I picked Russell T. Davis. Interesting. And why is that? Well, because he was single-handedly responsible for, I believe for re-energizing and reintroducing um, Doctor Who to mm-hmm. the masses. And he's a fan. Um, and yes. he's proved his fan credentials by writing Doctor mm-hmm. Who fan fiction. Um, <laughs> uh, he's, he's big, he's tall, he's from Wales. Yep. I find him very articulate. I love his uh, characterization. I love his character work as a writer. Mm-hmm. I think his vision, what, what I've read, for him, read about him talking about Doctor Who, I just find... His ideas very uh, attuned to my own about how Doctor Who is, you know, it's basically a kid's show um, right. and it must be attuned to kids. And if right. grown-ups like it, well, that's good. But if the kids don't like it, that's bad. 
Um, right. Uh, we went to the same college at the same university. I missed <laughs> Russell sadly by one year. Otherwise, I would have been able to spend time with him as a friend. Okay. Um, so for all of those reasons, and you know, I mean, come on, I mean, Doctor Who is now a worldwide phenomenon, and whether, yes. whether you like it or not, and so I know some fans, you know, kind of prefer the show to be you know, still just their own cult. kind of their own kind of secret cult. Um, yep. He made it into a worldwide phenomenon. He he knows he knows what he's doing, um, mm-hmm. and to be able to start up basically from scratch such a complex, incredibly complicated show. Um, and mm-hmm. make it su- uh, successful in every sense of the word, then he's a showrunner that we need mm. for, uh, for Jodie Whittaker, I believe. And it's interesting that Chibnall, I think, may be in the same vein of showrunner that RTD is in. Let's I think ha- that has a, a potential. More outgoing, um, uh, looking for someone who's more of a showman than mm-hmm. uh, the Moffat c- can be. And Moffat, you know, he's got a lot of skills, but he's right. not really good at the whole publicity thing. And you need you need someone who's really flamboyant and and, and kind of out there at the helm. I mean, I think you know Russell, uh, if I can call him that, um, has been very you know I, I think he's been very outgoing about his shortcomings as a writer. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he's being overly modest, right? But certainly as a showrunner, be able to kind of whip something as hugely complicated into shape at the BBC, which is a very conservative organisation, get them to spend mm-hmm. yet huge sums of money on something that they really weren't expecting to have to spend money on ever again. Uh, is, mm-hmm. And you know, get them to put it out on Saturday evenings. You, know, you completely mm-hmm. change, you know, rebooted Saturday evening as a tele- you know it was it was a television watching dead zone in Britain mm-hmm. as it is of course here in the United States. Completely right. rebooted that piece of British culture, and you have to hand it to him. And and I would like to hand him again. I mean, he probably wouldn't take it, but right. you know, this is this is a dream team after him. Uh, right. after, after all, he has been time scooped to be the new showrunner uh, for Doctor Who, in my opinion. All right. Okay. Well, good choice. Thank good you choice. very much. And your choice was? Well, I went from the very beginning, ah. and I chose the team of the, the original team, Verdi Lambert, Ooh. and her first script editor of David Whitaker. Good and choice. Good and the choice. Reason, yes. And the reason why yep. I went with Lambert, and I would not want Verdi Lambert just starting out in her career. So I would like a seasoned Verdi. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you plucked her from her um, from her kind of soap opera days in the eighties? No, I plucked her from the nineties when she was trying to get independent uh-huh. rights for Doctor Who, and she lost out because the the TV movie was already in in the works. But this is a producer, executive producer that has uh, decades of successes under her belt, and she can bring her experience with comedy thrillers. Uh, sci-fi, drama, and, you know, obviously cult TV, Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And this is a producer who doesn't make many compromises, sticks to her guns, and knows what she wants to get the show right and deliver a quality bit of drama. Plus, I think, with her background in the 60s as breaking new ground in Doctor Who, who better than to have Verity at the helm to help the new Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, break new grounds in drama woman. with the role. Right. So that those are my thinkings. I think if you look at the creativity and the decisions that Lambert made when she was showrunner, and the most famous of which... Or, 
is green lighting the Daleks, I think her judgment is very sound and she intuitively knows what the show needs to gain the hearts and minds of the British viewing public. And I think she has demonstrated throughout her career with hits like Riley Ace of Spies, um, going back even earlier like Adam Adamant, The Naked Civil Servant, towards the end of her career with Sleepers. These are types of drama that capture the imagination and with the breadth of experience that she would bring, I think we could even see the return of the historical and not the celebrity historical, but a true historical, historical. episode of Doctor Who. Wow. And I think I think it would be a really good person to have at the helm. And then bringing along with her... Dirty Dave <laughs> script, Whitaker, right. Dave Whitaker, her first script editor. And the reason why I chose uh, Whitaker over, say, like Dennis Spooner, is I think David Whitaker of all the people who have written for the Daleks consistently wrote the Daleks the best. And if you're going to have Doctor Who, you're going to have the Daleks. And I think David Whitaker truly understands what makes the Daleks devious, sneaky, terrifying, just their ability to manipulate and exploit human greed and uh, shortcomings. I think a David Whitaker type script editor who was alive and writing today would be able to take uh, what's going on in society right now and turn it into a very reflective drama in the form of Doctor Who. I, I couldn't agree more, actually. Um, I mean, I think um, what's so fascinating about the history of the Daleks is how their extensive creator, Terry Nation, Mm-hmm. kind of really didn't know what to do with them. True. Um, you know, and just saw them as kind of almost sort of generic space Nazis. Um, <laughs> basically, they were, you know, they were Nazi tanks. You know, it was the Blitzkrieg. Mm-hmm. They were like racing across mm-hmm. uh, the green fields of Belgium towards Paris. Uh, it's it's Whitaker who gives the Dar- Daleks, ironically, gives them their human factor. He gives mm-hmm. them their, um, the, uh, he makes them actual, cr- an alien race. A belie- cunning villains, a believable, right. <laughs> believable alien race. The same kind of cunning alien race that, you know, and th- that we see when we read the amazing 1960s Dalek comic strips. Um, right, which, which he, he authored. <laughs> which he also authored, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so great choice, good choice. So, I mean, so you're, 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 you're pushing for Jody to fight the Daleks quite, quite early on. <laughs> yes, I think it's important for all doctors to establish their credentials with the Daleks early on. Because looking back externally, outside of the show, the Daleks really made Doctor Who. They did. If, if there wasn't the Daleks in that second serial spot, you could imagine by the time that, <laughs> uh, who knows? Who knows if the, the show would even have you know, bazillions of podcasts and spinoffs and Big Finish or whatever. It Absolutely. Just, it just... The Daleks made it, and so I think, I think just like with a new Doctor with uh, Tom Baker, where we have the, him facing off with a masterpiece of Dalek lore with mm-hmm. Genesis of the Daleks, you need to have that that return that facing the Daleks early on in a Doctor's regeneration to uh, really sell. The character as the Doctor. I mean, every every great hero needs a great villain, mm-hmm. and I mean the Daleks are you know they are just a classic. They are a great alien villain, and they're a great alien race. 
And I think it's knowing what makes them tick as an alien race is what makes them compelling as a as, as something as a as a story. Yeah, the other bit that I think that Whitaker also brings is the whole um, magic of the TARDIS, and I right. think he Mercury fluid links. Yeah, right. He made the TARDIS a, a living machine rather than just machine yeah terry nation's machine which you know you if you block up right. the doors with fungus you run out of oxygen kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah all right okay so let's uh move on to a writer do you have a writer in mind um i do have a writer in mind um and okay. my writer is from the 1970s ah oh okay um and it is the amazing malcolm hulk hooray oh yeah malcolm hulk, malcolm hulk, hulk, malcolm yeah. hulk. So Mac Hulk, um, the mentor of the great Terence Dix, left us sadly, I think, far too young, um, though mm-hmm. I guess he was actually reasonably old, um, mm-hmm. but still far too young, and was responsible to me to really creating some of the most thoughtful epics in Doctor Who history, was able to spin out a tale. Um, let's just compare, you know, Mac Hulk working on the Silurians to right. um, David Whittaker working on the Ambassadors of Death. Um, and how just gripping the Silurians is with like plagues Mm -hmm. and underground bases and dinosaurs and how tedious Mm -hmm. the Ambassadors of Death is with some ambassadors from space doing things. So anyway, I mean, Mac, you know, obviously, you know, he gets some stick from some quarters about being very left wing. And as we know, he's being monitored by MI5 as a commie. Um, for mm-hmm. most of his life, and um, that doesn't matter. I think an injection of some decent politics into Doctor Who is a great thing, and he was certainly able to criticise his own politics. I mean, if you just look at the uh, the idealists of um, of uh, in uh, uh, I can't remember what they're called now, but the people in, in Invasion of the Dinosaurs, I'm sure they had a name. Any on their silly mm-hmm. spaceship, uh, you'll see that he's able he's able to criticise and critique his politics mm-hmm. quite effectively. Um, and I I mean, along with Barry Letts and with Terry, though Terry of course a lot more reactionary than Mac ever was um, right. they really kind of they were the kind of the beating heart of, of early mm-hmm. of early 70s early to mid 70s Doctor Who um, and I would just love to have him back on the show again back in the game and just you know sitting down and writing you know a six part seven part eight part Doctor Who epic um, mm-hmm. for Jody that would really you know I think he's he's the one who'd be able to to really dig into the um, uh, I mean I certainly wouldn't give it to Terry um, dig into the I'm a female doctor now um, mm-hmm. I actually I think of all the historic writers I think he's actually got the um, uh, got the ideological chops um, mm-hmm. to really make that work well we would certainly have a, a female president in the frontier in space and exactly. she is given a very dignified role and she is equal to uh, i think is it general williams i can't remember i think it's general name. williams yeah with his big yeah. collar yep mm-hmm. right right so she certainly stood up to the military so he he can write strong female characters in, in in a time period when that wasn't particularly common no it was not particularly common at all certainly in british television um, so yeah, I mean, of course, I'm biased because basically, I mean, I just love all his, I love all right. his shows. Right. So I just, you know, I just want to have him back. But I, but I think actually, he's got some of the interesting ideas and the mm-hmm. ability to make them work over, you know. And, if, and again, you know, as, as I think as we're hearing the Chib talk, um, that this mm-hmm. may be, you know, an entire season's one se- one story in one season. Um, the war games. <laughs> like what? He's your man. He's your man. Right. Basically, he can do that. We know he can mm-hmm. do that. Right. Oh, very good choice. Okay, and your writer is? I went with a relatively newcomer writer who I think is probably the best writer in the Stephen Moffat era, 
which is Jamie Matheson. Ah. And he is not as experienced as Mac Hulk is in terms of scripts. He has only been writing for about a decade. Before that, he's been a stand-up comic. But the the scripts that he's produced for Doctor Who, I think, are some of the best, which are Mummy on the Orient Express, Flatline, um, a little less so with The Girl Who Died, but then last year's uh, 10 on a 10 for me, Oxygen. Definitely. And well, I, I mean, I think... Sorry, just to butt in there. I mean, Oxygen, a great subversive anti-capital subtext to that show, just mm-hmm. exactly in the vein of Matt Hulk, in my opinion. Yes. So with Matheson's writing, I feel we get what is lost in a lot of newer Doctor Who stories. Is They, they seem classic to me. They seem more of what was magical back when I really was enjoying it as a child, as a young, as a teen, of in the, the, the 70s and 80s type stories. And so I think Jamie Matheson is probably not going to be part of the Chibnall stable of writers, if especially if they do a writer's room. But I right. really have enjoyed all four of the stories, even the one that he co-wrote or worked with Moffat on, which was the girl who died. Right. I I really think that he can bring uh, fresh but classic ideas to the program. So, as a creative writer, someone coming up with ideas, I would really like to see his writing continue on for Jody Whittaker's Doctor. And and you don't feel he's going to come back under 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 Chibnall? You think he's not? We wouldn't be part of a writers' room? No, I, I really don't think he is. I doubt that he would be part of a writers' room. In that, you know, he's more of an established writer, and I think yeah. the writers' room is going to have more young uh, poten- Yeah, more recent grads out of a, a university. Whatever schools writers go to. No, I mean I, I I mean I agree with you. I mean those four Matheson stories have been the highlights to me mm-hmm. um, of mm-hmm. the um, of the Moffat era certainly. Yeah. Um, in some ways, actually, weirdly, in a way that you know Moffat stories were the, in some ways the highlights of the RTD era. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Kind of interesting. Uh, and I wonder, you know, if uh, Matheson would be as good without Stephen Moffat editing him. Just like I true. wonder how good. Uh, Moffat is without the constraints that RTD would put yeah. on. Him. I mean, I did toy with having Moffat as my writer, uh, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I, I felt that would be, just be too, too uh, adjacent with you know, um, with my with with, with with my new who new who selections. Mm-hmm. So no, good choice, good choice. Very okay. much agree with that. So we we need someone to direct this. We do, and who 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 is going to direct a show written by Malcolm Hulk and <laughs> and showrun? By RTD, who could possibly, who would have the experience and the, just the vision to direct um, mm. a show like that? Well, let's go all the way back, as you did, to the very beginning of Doctor Who. Okay? Oh, really? Oh. And okay. let's look at the someone who was involved in directing the Daleks, mm-hmm. directed one of the most innovative early de- episodes of Doctor Who, Edge of Destruction had the vision to, to, to completely uh, create a new world in terms of the Daleks invading Earth. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing, what an amazing vision that was. But also, I think, and most importantly, responsible for just directing the most balls-to-the-wall, like crazy, insane 
queer in the academic sense of the word episode of episode Doctor Who, the Web Planet. And I'm of course I'm only talking about Richard Martin, mm. who uh, who I think a lot of people don't like, and I don't know why <laughs> actually. Um, I've always found him to be completely amusing when he's interviewed okay. on, on DVD. I think he's still going, isn't he? Still mm-hmm. alive? Yep. Um, I love his cravat. Um, I like his grey hair. Um, I like his, his thin form and his kind of reedy voice. Um, and, you know, anyone who can toggle between the Dalek invasion of the Earth, I, you know, get kind of Terry Nation's kind of turgid, um, the Nazis are going to invade Britain and just kind of episodic plot and kind of make that work. And then mm-hmm. also just kick life into the web planet which is one of my favorite um Mm -hmm. 1960s doctor who epics i i just think he's just he's the man for the job i mean if anyone can Mm. can can work with you know a season-long story potentially um about um how the doctor is now a woman um or how the doctor has in, in earth terms changed his her changed their gender um, I think it's Richard Martin, um, because mm. if you look at kind of gendered who, if you think about, you know, episodes of Doctor Who having a gender, uh, Dalek Invasion of the Earth, that's a male story. Web Planet, that's a female story. And I think um, uh, anyone who can navigate those two highlights of 60s Who is my choice for director for the new series. Hmm. You don't, okay. agree, don't agree, really. Well, I, would, I would have to give a pass on Martin's direction. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- Sorry, I think. Yeah, I think Martin. Uh, I think Martin tends to be pretty unimaginative with his shots, and oh, I think true. you're going to get very uh, locked off camera, wide angles, hardly any close-ups. I'm just not seeing his style translating very well to the new uh, cinematography that they're going to be, t- or the new cameras that they're, le- that they're trying see, to I, guess I, I want to see that happen. I want him to be, I want someone from the very beginning of Doctor Who to be forced mm. to direct very contemporary Doctor Who, and I want to see what happens. Yeah, I think it will be a disaster. It could, be, it could very well be a disaster, um, especially since he's super ancient now. Um, right, but right. But I think, I think it would be a lot well, of let's fun just take him well worth watching. Well, let's just take Martin right off the set of the Wed Planet. Absolutely, yeah. Set yep. him down in front of. He'll I be just, all confused. Oh, where am I? I <laughs> yeah, I, I. He's a fantastic, I, like old school British, old school BBC director. You know what, mm-hmm, what else has he mm-hmm. done according to Wikipedia? Like he directed episodes of Crown Court for God's sake, and all creatures <laughs> great and small. Mike, and <sighs> you know, and he's an actor. Mm. He was in Ivanhoe, apparently, starring Roger right. Moore. not to take anything away from him but i just don't think he has the vision and the imagination that we need here going forward with jody whitaker i really think the look is going to be very very static and dated with a director of uh, martin's uh uh, limited skills um and look listen anyone who can direct literally tens of episodes of Crown Court, which was a drama show literally set in a courtroom um, yes. and had no exterior shots of any kind. and was just like, there's the witness, there's mm-hmm. the person in the dock, there's the judge, mm-hmm. there's the jury. Anyone who has got that level of skill as a director, I want him on my new who. So Richard Martin okay. is my mind, is my man, All is right. my man. Anyway. All right. Okay. That well, I went. I just, I just really like him. I just find him really amusing. <laughs> you want him for the DVD commentary? I kind of just want him for the DVD commentary, exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, the, well, the director I chose is Charles Palmer. 
Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I that that was that was going to be my serious choice, to be honest. Uh, okay. Because he's done so, a really good job. Anyway, he is on. an amazing director. Um, debuted in Smith and Jones and the Shakespeare Code, and then we have the really well received Human Nature, Family of Blood. Two classics. Yep. Mm-hmm. But just this this last year with Oxygen. Yep. And that was I felt amazingly directed. But then with a story that probably wasn't as well placed in the series 10, The Eaters of Light, which is also a story that he directed, I think that it shows what he can do with a more thoughtful script, I guess, rather than an action script. Right. Right. And I think the scenes that he did with Bill and the Roman soldiers and then the scenes with Nardle and the Picts, are very good of you know the sitting around the campfire and there's drama in the way that that's shot with the camera angles the lighting the stuff that the director is going to have immediate impact over i think he works really well he's a young director he's coming off pole dark which is phenomenal success and he has a background his background was in camera work and he was uh, working cameras in the British teen movie Bend It Like Beckham mm. he he was doing camera work in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang mm. I think his visual storytelling style would work really well going forward and especially with our new cinemagraphic lenses that we're doing with the wide screens yep. with the images that the, the vistas that he was doing in, in uh, filming in uh, full Scotland with the eaters of light, I just think that he would bring a vision and a look to Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who stories that I really want part going forward. Yeah, and I think I think we'll all be very disappointed if Palmer is not back as mm-hmm. as a director on Doctor Who. I mean, I mean, I, of course, I wish him every luck in his career. Um, um, <laughs> I hope that he continues to think that directing Doctor Who is part of that career because he's incredibly talented and does a really good job. Right. I think he would be a great partner for Richard Martin. <laughs> um, Richard Martin would just be able to say, oh, dear boy, um, put them over there and then point the camera at them for a bit. Uh, I think, yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're, you're right. I think uh, Palmer, mm-hmm. Palmer is, a, is, a, is a top choice as director, mm-hmm. as is Richard Martin. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well. All right. So we have our directors. Um, who on earth would be able to be the designer? I wonder. All right. Who did you choose? Did you choose costume, set, visual effects, I sound? I picked someone who rejoices in the title of art director. An art director. She, she was the art director for the TV movie, and her name is Bridget McGuire. Okay. Well, so, so I, I actually thought, surprisingly, I actually thought quite a bit about this. And I thought, well, you know, hang on. I always dismiss the TV movie as just being an aberration. It gave us Paul McGann as the Doctor, right. which is amazing. And that, right. that is the legacy of the TV movie is Paul McGann. But if you go back, I mean, I think, well, okay, what else do I enjoy about the TV movie? I actually really enjoy its art direction. It was really contemporary. The costuming is really good. I thought just the general... Kind of day and night shooting um, worked really well. Um, the, the TARDIS set has completely grown on me and also has obviously mm-hmm. been very influential oh, yeah. in, mm-hmm. the, um, in the design of the contemporary TARDIS set. Mm-hmm. So, of course, then I looked up, well, who was the art director for the TV movies? this woman called Bridget McGuire. Let's find out mm-hmm. what else she did. Well, before she worked on Doctor Who, she worked on a completely insane show that I remember watching a number of episodes of in the mid-1990s called Prophet. 
I don't know if anyone remembers that show, um, but it's mm. about a man who lives in a box, um, who lives in a cardboard box, but he's also some kind of corporate raider, but he lives in a cardboard box, mm. starring Adrian Pazdar, who I'm a huge fan of, mainly because of his work in um, that vampire movie whose name now completely escapes me. Um, but anyway, so she, she started out with completely very, very cool designing stuff, but then I see she was the art director for all 80 episodes of Stargate SG-1. Interesting. So she knows how to do... Sci-fi. Action-packed sci-fi. She's not just a moody, it's dark, it's probably raining. Uh, he's not just a kind of a moody director. She's also, she can do bright. She can do bouncy. Um, she was an art director on Psych as well, which is a, a, a kind of a, a straight-to-cable reboot of Murder, she wrote, that my daughter mm. is very keen on. So I've seen a number of episodes of Psych. Mm -hmm. But again, you know, to be able to do something like Stargate, which was completely genre sci-fi TV, but always entertaining for its incredibly long run. Right. Uh, I think she'd be a very sensitive and, um, you know, she knows who a little bit and sensitive to the needs of contemporary Who, but also understands a little bit about historic Who. And, and again, mm -hmm. I wanted to see whether I could actually pick someone from, from the TV movie. And it's mm -hmm. Bridget McGuire is my art director for the new series. Okay. Well, I think that's a sound choice. I went with, after the uh, savage uh, drubbing that I gave her last uh, in the SmackDown, costume SmackDown, I want Barbara Kidd back <laughs> as my dis <laughs> costume designer. Oh, um, she's back. All is forgiven for the uh, <laughs> costumes in uh, Frontier and Space, but she has several decades of Doctor Who credentials with her from Pertwee era, the Tom Baker era. She was the uh, costumer for Kinda, which I think has very good costumes in. The sets are a little skonky, but the... Sets are terrible. Costumes are good. Costumes are good. And then she was the costumer from Christmas Carol on through the Wedding of River Song. And uh, there's certainly no complaints in the costumes. And she captured uh, Neil Gaiman, the doctor's wife, costuming, I think, perfectly. The steampunk look. Mm. It's a look I really dislike, I'll have to say. So, okay. Yeah. I think it works well for the game and story. That's what he's going. And, yeah, that's true. And, but, I mean, she, she can do historical. Uh, she was costumer for Let's Kill Hitler. She can do Cybermen. She did, had Closing Time. Uh, she can do the U.S. Space Program because she had Impossible Astronaut Day of the Moon. And then just in the entirely bizarro fantasy mind of uh, Stephen Moffat with The Wedding of River Song. So she can really, she has a really good that range. Flexibility in the range, yeah. To pull off what you need in a broad genre program like Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And I think she would be a wonderful costumer for Jodie Whittaker and her time in Doctor Who. I mean, see, that's interesting. I mean, that's kind of why I went for Bridget McGuire, actually, because she seemed to me to have the range that you need. Right, um, right. Certainly, we have basically having designed, every, you know, being the director for pretty much every mm -hmm. episode of Stargate, um, mm -hmm. including spin-offs of Stargate as well. Mm -hmm. I, I'll have to say, um, uh, your one, and I've now forgotten her name. Barbara Kidd? Barbara Kidd. I really haven't enjoyed any of her costumes or designing at all in new who and also kind of an old who i've just found her just too really too broad too hmm. like all over the place i mean a lot of it is the writing that is the kind of just incredibly messy and unstructured and 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 unedited writing of moffat kind of seemed to me translated into kind of unstructured and unedited and kind of undirected 
designing mm. something like let's kill hitler or you know well, actually the worst one is wedding of a river song it's just like i you can't it's just too much there's too much there's too mm. much going on all the time she doesn't have any subtlety or sensitivity or ability to turn herself down from 11 to like a more normal uh, level of design level well, I don't know. Going back to the classic era, she was the costumer for Ark in Space, well, Santaran Experiment, Genesis of the Daleks, Pyramid yeah, of Mars, yeah. Invasion of the Dinosaurs, Green Death. I mean, she... Okay, what do you, okay you, 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 you can have her if you time scoop her from the 70s, okay? But I'm not having a contemporary one. All right. Okay. Yeah. And again, I mean, if you, I mean, the costuming, you know, How, I mean, she did Curse of the Black Spot. I mean, was the the costumes were decent in that? Were they this like generic pirates? Um, well, but that's what the story was. It was a generic, it is generic pirates. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm see, I'm now thinking like, are the costumes in Genesis of the Daleks that good? They're functionary for the story. I mean, yes, the, the thing, are. the yeah. thing. If you That's look true. At I, mean, she, I think she's able to work with story well. Yes. No. I think. I think. I think. I think. I think you're right about that. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I mean, the thing with what wins the best costume, it's usually something really historical. So if we look at the things that she's had to work with that are historical, I think she does okay with. I mean, the most historical one that Moffat had in the season that she was working there is "Let's Kill Hitler." And it looked passably enough like Berlin in the Third Reich. Right. Yeah. 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 But with historical, if we're not doing the Pride and Prejudice type historical, what is there to do? I mean, they're uniforms of the Third Reich. What else are we going to have? It's sort of like Curse of the Black Spot. Yes, it's generic pirates. They have to dress Hugh Bonneville up up like a pirate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think she is a, a costumer that is active currently. I think she has good perspective based off of what she did in the 70s and 80s. Her time in Modern Who was not a disaster, at least costuming wise. I think she'd be a good addition. Okay, right. She's in. She's in. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, music. Yes. Music. Who did you choose? Well, you know what? I I was going to be clever and I was going to pick Malcolm Clark mm-hmm. um, because I love what he did on the Sea Devils. Mm-hmm. Um, and also he was, so he's in the 70s, but he was also back in the 80s as well with Urshot yep. and other yep. classics. But then I thought, you know what? Who, I, who do I like even more than I like Malcolm Clark's work on Doctor Who? And who did less than Malcolm Clark and needs a rematch with Doctor Who? Well, welcome again to Carrie Blyton. Ah. Yes. Welcome yes. back. Welcome back, Carrie Blyton, who, according to Wikipedia, is best known for his song Bananas in Pajamas <laughs> um, in, from 1969. But I think he only did three Doctor Who's, but each one of them, music-wise, was an absolute killer. Um, Doctor Who and the Silurians... Death to the Daleks and Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, mm-hmm. Doctor and the Silurians and Death to the Daleks. Death to the Daleks. The um, you know the chant of the mm-hmm. uh, of the mm-hmm. Exilons uh, is just fantastic. I wish there was like an isolated track of that because I would have that on all the time in my apartment um, as I was like chopping things up for dinner. Well, uh, I'll close out the podcast with it. How about that? Excellent, excellent, <laughs> excellent. With the with the crumb horns and the flugel horns and the whatever serpents and things that he used, I I just think he's fabulous. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have uh, quite the kind of aggressive 
kind of electronic squelching sounds that Malcolm was experimenting with that I like so much in the Sea Devils. Um, right. and, but I can see, you know, what Malcolm was doing. He was really taking some of those really archaic uh, sound cues, um, deliberately archaic sound cues from Doctor Who and the Silurians and, you know, uh, and, and kind of, you know, uh, sexing them up using electronic instruments mm-hmm. for, um, uh, for the Sea Devils. But um, Kerry Blyton, it's, it's really for his work on Death of the Daleks that I, I would mm. like to see him back and I just think he's got he's 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 dead now, sadly. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll we'll just we'll time scoop him from 1974, and he will be our composer for the new series of Doctor Who. Okay, so the whole whole series. Yeah, he's going to do everything. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to do. Yeah, he's going to he's going to redo the theme tune. Um, then he's Latin gonna, chanting. <laughs> yeah, with just chanting and with like a flugel horn. Um, playing the theme and then he's going to do all the soundtrack and it's just going to be noises going and then there's going to be some chanting and then there'll be another squirchy sort of farty Mm -hmm. sound and that will be Mm -hmm. the soundtrack and he (laughs) is my choice okay all right okay you're not fully fully convinced no i'm not convinced (laughs) i I, i'm not a i'm not really partial to the death of the uh, Dalek soundtrack. I do like his other two, though. I do uh, think uh, Philip Hinchcliffe is a little harsh with his criticism for the Revenge of the Cybermen incidental music that Blyton composed. Uh, that was the reason why Blyton never worked for Doctor Who again. <laughs> he I believe, never worked for Doctor Who again. <laughs> is that, well, Hinchcliffe didn't like what they did, and he no. had the radiophonic workshop. Uh, sex it up a little bit because yeah, it just yeah. wasn't what he was looking for yeah interesting neither of us went with dudley simpson well i mean he's the obvious choice mm-hmm. um i mean you know when 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 dudley was cut from the show by yep. jnt uh, that was a crime against doctor <laughs> who i mean really that was of jnt's many crimes that was that was his worst crime in mm-hmm. my opinion but i mean i didn't want to pick dudley because i mean dudley simpson music is doctor who basically right um i wanted to go with someone else and i and i wanted to go with someone you know who i think got a got a raw deal from doctor mm-hmm. who actually and i think i mean for much as i think hinchcliffe is you know, again, one of the one of the greats of Who. Um, I, I he he, I like that alternative, experimental approach mm-hmm. to soundtrack making for a show that is about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like, yeah, I really liked his uh, soundtrack for the Silurians. Yeah, I think that's probably his best one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, and who was your composer, may I ask? So I went also with a 1970s alternative composer, yep. the renowned Jeffrey Burgone, or Burgone uh-huh. of Terror of the Zygon soundtrack and Seeds of Doom. Now, this is a very experienced, accomplished composer who sadly is no longer alive. Uh, but he also did many film and television scores, including Monty Python's uh, Life of Brian. He did the soundtrack or the, 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 the score for Alec Guinness's uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Right, right. He did Bridehead Revisited. He was the soundtrack for uh, the remake of the Foresight Saga. Yeah. If, uh, if your kids watched Chronicles of Narnia growing up, he did the soundtrack for that. He has a, a, a great back catalog of orchestral, choral, vocal, chamber music, but Ultimately, it's what he did as a as a younger composer with Terror of the Zygons and Seeds of Doom with that very atmospheric chamber horn wind ensemble that I think is very moody, very 
suggestive of the type of drama, creeping horror, Doctor Who that I like. So just as much as Dudley Simpson is part of my childhood soundtrack for Doctor Who, the Terror of the Zygon, Seeds of Doom soundtrack that Burgon composed is very much right in there. And he is, I think, one of the great composers of Doctor Who. He's one of the great composers of Doctor Who. Uh, I would argue that, that also Kerry Blyne also has that kind of doomy, doomy, doomy creepy-ness uh, that I think we all like in, um, in, in Who. In fact, I think most of the composers, of the, I mean, all of the composers in the 70s knew what they were doing. The larger difference, I think, from Blyton than Burgoyne is Blyton would be more experimental. Yeah. You would have more risk-taking. There'd be more arguments per- about, like, what the mm-hmm. hell is that, Kerry? Go away, compose something else. And I think that might be more intrusive into uh, the scenes and over dialogue. Yep. Burgoyne, I think, would very much complement the mood, the set, and work with the director very well to uh, bring about a, a part of a team vision for what uh, what needs to be heard and seen on the screen rather than a composer's vision of their telling of the story. Yeah, I, and actually, I didn't realize that he was a composer for the Brideshead Revisited soundtrack, which is mm-hmm. which is a, a lot of affection, uh, memory, good memories of that incidental right. music. So yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's a good choice, good choice. Um, maybe maybe him and Carey could work together. Maybe Carey could do the like I don't know. Well, that the experimental what... stories, um, and you know, uh, Jeffrey could do the kind of you know, the overarching right stuff. The, that's one thing I miss from modern Doctor Who is we don't have a mix of composers. We no, have same guy. The, the, you know, Murray Gold was very creative and I, I like a lot of his tracks, but it would be nice to have more variety yeah, and definitely I think they burnt out Murray Gold after you know, so he's 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 leaving the series, whether it's on his own own volition or if uh, Chibnall gave him his uh, P forty five, I don't know. So it's going <laughs> It's going to change with the new series. It's going to be really interesting, actually, to see who and how they replace that that soundtrack piece, actually. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, you know, I mean, I think one of the... One <laughs> all of the, stock music from the 60s. All stock music from the 60s, again. Because, um, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, one of, again, you want to think one of RTD's great innovations or great kind of, you know, uh, inspirations for bringing the show back in 2005 is full orchestral scores. Yeah, which were done with since the first series, but yep. then once they got more money, they had uh, BBC Whale or Orchestra BBC of Wales or... came storming in exactly, um, and you know, with obviously there's no radiophonic w- workshop anymore, of course, um, right. uh, but you know, plenty of people people who can make warbling sounds um, on a computer. So, um, which direction is Mister Chib going to go in? We don't know. We will just find It'll out. Be interesting to find out. It will be. Yeah. So, do you think your team could work together? Um, no, I don't think they could work together at all very well. Um, no, and actually, you know what? I think with RTD as the leader, I think my 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 little bit kind of a little bit kind of out there team. I think he'd be able to whip them into shape pretty easily, um, especially mm. if we had like some amazing epic storyline from Malcolm Hulk, some really kind of stagey and and old time direction from Richard Martin, um, <laughs> some moody mid nineties sci fi design from Bridget McGuire. Um, and then just some some kind of farty fugal horns from Carrie Blyton. I think you're talking just a winner, absolute okay. winner. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Do you think your team can work together? Ah, mm, I I did try to think of fit, and I think Verity Lambert again in her professionalism, yeah, professionalism can can uh, make things work. I think perhaps 
the weakest part would be uh, David Whitaker as script editor. Would he be hip enough or contemporary enough because to write for Jodie Whittaker or to script edit for Jodie Whittaker's Doctor? Because even by the time that he was working for the 70s with the Ambassadors of Death, his his era of Doctor Who had passed, and he had a lot of assistance from Mel Kulk and Terrence Dix right. to get the Ambassadors of Death whipped into something even filmable. I mean, I think I think I mean what's clear actually, and you know, it's, it's obviously it, I think the the most obvious common ex- contemporary example is Moffat. That actually, after a while, you run out of stories. And I think, you know, that's what happened with Whitaker, And I think that's what happened with Holmes as well into, into the 80s. Right. Um, so you, actually, you actually run out of new things. You run out of stories to tell about these characters. Right. Uh, so I think you're know, bringing, bringing, bringing... Oh, I think one of the reasons, actually, I was, I was looking at Matt Culp because mm-hmm. I think I think he left us before he was finished telling his stories. Mm-hmm. That's uh, why I chose uh, Matheson too because again, I think he still has more stories to tell. He's got more stories to tell in, in the universe. Mm-hmm. So that is spanning 50-plus years of Doctor Who, cherry-picking our A-team for uh, replacement, emergency time scoop replacement of Chris Chibnall when he's... uh, Whisked off. Called away. When he's called away to to greater and better things in the future. (laughs) Um, And I think, think, think yes, and um, we are still keenly awaiting more news about who will actually be running uh, Doctor Who um, come 2018. Um, for Jodie Whittaker, it's going to be right. it's going to be an exciting year, I think. I'm I'm really really looking forward to really uh, waiting awaiting to see who they're going to have doing music and yeah. how they're going to do music and whether they're going to do the writers' room or are we going to have this individual writer story bylines? I just I'm there's so much coming with the new series that yeah, so uh, much new changed. stuff exactly yeah yeah and I think what's interesting is you know obviously the you know your general public your social media kind of fixating mm-hmm. on uh, the change in terms of the Doctor, which, of course, is a major change. Right. I actually think what is what is more major is actually that production team change, mm-hmm. um, you know, the change in writing, change in music. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be major. Change in lenses. Right. It's going to be right. major. Yeah. And we have the change coming here when we do. We twice do. upon a time barreling down upon us. Yeah, Christmas tomorrow will be Christmas, and it will be a twice upon a time. So we'll yep. just have to see what what that is like. And we'll probably be a little bit delayed getting our twice upon a time reaction back, but it is coming. Never fear. Never fear, and expect a lot of a lot of reactions from from hopefully all over the world um, gathered <laughs> together for you for uh, uh, for just the Metabolist Two podcast yeah, for our audience. Okay, any other closing thoughts? Or? I think those are my closing thoughts. Well, thank you so much for listening to episode sixty four of the Metabolist Two podcast. I have been talking to Ben, and I have been talking to David. Good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, as a number 2, at gmail.com, or 
on Twitter at Metabulous2. And again, that's a number two. Hope to hear from you. Bye. What's this? Now, we so rarely get a chance to celebrate, but this time we must. Celebrate? Yes. It's Christmas. Don't you remember the police station? Christmas? So it was, yes. Here's a toast. A happy Christmas to all of us. <laughs> so do you, Doc. Sir? Incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you at home.